The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and joining me today is a returning special guest, freelancer, contractor, writer, whatever, used to be my partner in crime over at Joystick, working on the Western RPG column while I worked on the Japanese RPG column. Please welcome back, Rowan Kaiser. It's nice to be back. Is there, is there an unofficial RPG podcast for U.S. Gamer? Uh, not for U.S. Gamer, but okay. I'm sure that there's an, R- an unofficial RPG podcast somewhere that's not nearly as good as ours. Uh, well, obviously, but... I'm just throwing shade at whatever RPG podcast there is out there, so... If it's it what exists, I do. it's worse. Exactly. So, today, we're going to be talking a little briefly about Hearthstone, which I don't care if it's not exactly an RPG. It's my podcast, so I'm going to talk about it. Then we're going to talk about a new game that's kind of not been getting a lot of coverage that Rowan has been playing, and then we'll finish up with some mailbag questions, because this is a mailbag episode. Yes, it's true. I, um, Whenever you need a good topic to talk about there's always the mailbag to bail you out for another week assuming you actually have fans so I, we have fans come on rowan you do you got mailbag questions i got i bought, i got a bunch of mailbag questions i had to poke i had to poke i had to poke them a whole bunch but i got them at, at my my friendly neighborhood mom and pop podcast we uh don't always get questions so oh that's so sad well you should send rowan some questions Nice questions. Yes. So yesterday, Blizzard came out and announced a new expansion pack for Hearthstone. It's called the Grand Tournament. It's going to add 130 new cards and some interesting new mechanics. And the reason that I bring up Hearthstone is, well, strictly speaking, it's not an RPG where you go through a quest and complete things. It does have a very direct lineage to RPGs, just in the way that the mechanics work. I've kind of likened it to what Pokemon essentially. It scratches a very a very similar itch to Pokemon. But Rowan, you're not you you've played some Hearthstone, but you're kind of uh falling off on it. Why is that? I I mean I've gone through phases. I got in at the very end of the beta and I loved it. I put it on my game of the year list even though it wasn't released that year and um everything was great and then over time I just sort of trailed off in interest. It was just there were too many annoyances of like running into someone who just doesn't spend any pay any attention and every turn takes 30 seconds and it's really boring and um eventually i kind of fell off that way there was also no real um progression so as soon as i got bored there was no there's nothing pushing me to keep playing um but i picked it up again a month or two ago after a year and a half or so i guess Mm-hmm. Um, and I started trying to get back into it, but uh, have encountered similar sorts of problems. People seem to play faster now. I have only encountered a couple who are just so annoying to play that it's it's useless. But uh, there's just too many times where like 
the luck of the draw makes it impossible to get anywhere. Um, I had an arena run that might have been the, the straw that broke the camel's back, where it's like, all right, I got a good set of arena cards. This is going well. I won my first match because I got, like, one, two, three, four, five is the first few cards I drew. Uh, just like that must have been really annoying for my opponent. And then my next opponent basically won because he had a Tyrion Fordring um, that I couldn't oh my get God. past. Like, I had... I don't even know if I had anything more than a rare in that deck, and this guy drops a legendary that just, like, is utterly impossible to beat. And I typically have played more arena than play mode because it seems to be fairer, but then I get the same unfairness that I have found in play mode where whoever happens to have the better cards or the better luck or whatever and it's just there's so little in my control that it's hard to stay motivated i might you know i might stick around and do like tavern brawls and stuff but i'm not going to like try to clean out my daily quests every time and you know i there are times when i'm like oh god arena runs are so unfair blah but then i look at you know youtube or whatever and i see these players who no matter what, seem to always get the maximum number of wins, or at least get a lot of wins. And so I'm like, they must know something that I don't know, you know, in terms of drawing together a good pack from the number of cards that are being offered and then going out and, and winning and using them properly because they're, they've got the same RNG that I do. It's And even if you do get a legendary, you can lose. Yeah. If that it was that particular legendary at that particular moment. Like obviously, some of the times they don't really work. But uh, um, like there was a tavern ball last week, I think, where it basically had random decks that all had two legendaries in them. I had a blast with that. Like the the decks were kind of unbalanced in that it was super hard to tell if you have like any cards for a mid game, uh, any fours or fives or whatever. But um, like because everyone was on the same uh on the same playing field the that was a great time but so much else seems to hinge entirely on what you happen to have and it just it's hard to stay motivated when you don't have that mm, i suppose i i've i i play a lot of constructed so i mean obviously i run into decks that have tons of legendaries in them but I guess I've gotten to the point where I can generally hold my own, and it is still a game where if you don't know how to effectively and efficiently use your deck, you can lose no matter what to somebody who has a really good strategy. So at least that's been my observation. Um, what Have you followed the, the news around the Grand Tournament, and if so, um, what do you think? I read a couple articles, and... It, I mean, it seems interesting. I don't. I've been out of World of Warcraft so long. I don't really understand what the tournament idea is. But, well, I'll, I'll uh, tell you a secret. I I don't like World of Warcraft, so it's okay. <laughs> he said the Argon tournament, and I'm like, oh. He said Lich King, and I'm like, oh yeah, I know that. And they're like, I, I used to I used to be a raider, but that was eight years ago. So. Um. <laughs> so you went through your wild phase, just like most everybody, not named Cat. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. and if you had, if you'd like run into someone who would level with you and heal you constantly, then you might have gone through a wow phase too. The first time I tried, I didn't get too into it, and then the second time I did, I had like someone who was always on at the same time as me and would heal me, and then I loved wow. <laughs> it was uh, love at first sight. Yeah. My problem was that I was in Japan for a good chunk of kind of wow's glory years um, between 2006 and 2009. 
And then I got back and Wrath of the Lich King came out. And I guess I could have gotten into it, but my computer wasn't really that great. And yeah, I know WoW can run on pretty much anything, but my computer would always overheat whenever I tried to play on it. <laughs> you know, seriously, it would literally overheat oh, and I've shut down. Happen. Civ 4 used to do that to me. And so I finally got a, a new computer after that. Um, but by then, like, what was it, like Cataclysm? And yeah. when Cataclysm hit, like, I, I guess there was new and interesting stuff, but... I, I guess every time I've tried to get into it, um, it's come off as pretty outdated. And I, I guess the, the art doesn't really gel with me. And so, and I found the quests very MMORPG. I, it's not even the graphics. Like I played Final Fantasy 14, which, and, which everybody praises as this outstanding art MMORPG. And I, I really don't doubt it, but. It seriously was like, go and kill like five rabbits or whatever. I'm like, I don't want to kill five rabbits. I have much better things to do with my life than to kill five rabbits. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go mess around with my damn cars in Hearthstone. I don't, I don't know. So were you into Warcraft three? Oh, I loved Warcraft three. It was great. Okay. So like initially playing world of Warcraft was like, Oh my God, I'm one of the little footmen from Warcraft three. And I'm going through this plot stuff. Like, I mostly got into it in Burning Crusade, which was much more connected at the higher level stuff to um, Warcraft 3 Frozen Throne, because it mostly took place on uh, in Outland, the ruins of Draenor, and you went and fought Kael'thas and, and Lady Vosh and stuff like that. And that was all, um, that was all like, super-duper connected. And then I got out of WoW. Like, I had something else to do. My guild fell apart. It was a whole big thing um and then i just totally missed wrath of the lich king which is like the culmination of the warcraft 3 story it's like okay the lich king is there and you get to go through everything and you get to finally kill arthas who become the grand villain of everything and i missed that and i was like kerrigan light <laughs> except not good Except, unlike Kerrigan, he doesn't have a heart of gold. He's just an asshole. Yeah, I, I, that was something I really liked about Warcraft 3, was that, like, he had opportunities for redemption. Everything about that story said he's going to be like the anti-hero going for redemption. And he didn't. Nope. Nope. Um, I, I, I love... So, I really liked Warcraft 3, and it's really interesting how much of Blizzard sprung from that game. And from a mechanic, and you'll... A, You'll uh, forgive me for kind of spreading out into real-time strategy, but Warcraft 3 was very RPG-like. It borrowed a ton from Diablo, especially in the construction of its levels, where you essentially had a party that was led by a full-on like RPG character who had abilities and would level up and everything. And they had little people who would follow him, like little minions and everything. Um, and it wasn't super popular with uh, the hardcore RTS set because like, oh, too many RPG stuff. Why am I grinding? Why I don't like how centralized it around is around the heroes. But I loved it. I thought it was great. I mean, that was great for single player because that stuff was sort of gated, where you'd only go up one or two levels per um, per mission. So you got this sort of feeling that you were becoming a super powered hero over the course of a campaign, um, and the story was very well written and. Um, yeah, anyway, it was great. Anyway, but um I, I was I was after I missed Wrath of the Lich King, I felt like I could never go back to World of Warcraft until they announced recently that they were having a thing where 
Um, there's a new mechanic called like time walking where you can go and do old dungeons because I like some of those old dungeons and I didn't like some of the other ones, but like every weekend I would have like an opportunity to do an old dungeon and get loot from that dungeon that would still be useful to you at a higher level. And I was like, this sounds like what I needed if I ever wanted to get back into the game. And I actually installed it and played a little bit and, um, uh, it was not what I expected. Really? Why not? Um, I thought Cataclysm did a lot more to kind of revamp the original starting zones and stuff. Um, and people talk about like the Cataclysm events, but the quests are exactly the same. And maybe they were cutting edge in 2004, but um, yeah, they are, they're not now. Like, I, I might go and play the starter zones for the, for the newer races, like the Goblins or the Pandas or whatever, but... Um, yeah, I, I I was not ready to commit to um, paying again, so I decided to do like the free twenty level trial and got to level six and was like, I have definitely done this before. You know, the only MMORPG that I was really able to get into and like cap out my character and everything, and people who have listened to this podcast and have listened to me and other things probably know which one I'm going to say. Which one is it? Why? Thank you, Rowan. It's Star Trek Online, actually. Okay. Yeah, it's because I like flying around in a starship. I liked being able to trick out my starship, be able to build up a crew. And as time went on, the game actually got pretty darn good, especially for a free-to-play game. If you're willing to ignore the fact that the PvP and at least some of the PvE is hilariously broken, the actual, like, solo content that you can play with a friend is awesome. Like, especially the latter-day stuff. If you're, like... It covers, like, every angle of Star Trek that you could possibly want, from the original series to freaking Star Trek V to, you know, the reboots to Voyager to DS9, you name it. Um, it's great. It's great stuff. You should check it out. Um, even if I only like, like, 15% of that stuff? Well, what do you like? I like a lot of TNG and most of Deep Space Nine that I've watched, only I found it easy to stop watching. Mm -hmm. I, I think you can get a I think that if there's a particular element of Star Trek that you like you'll find it and you'll be able to put up with the rest of it But you, you know what you should really play if you like Star Trek the Babylon what? 5 Sierra game that got cancelled when it was almost done is it out? oh no, no. <laughs> well I wish I could play it but I can't oh, and I, just, also, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to relive the 90s the Babylon 5 and Star Trek have nothing in common Rowan Man, this podcast got really geeky. Yeah, the, the RPG podcast has gone off the rail with dorks. <laughs> I know. So, uh, speaking of games that are kind of similar to Diablo, um, Victor, uh, Victor Baran you're playing right now, which hasn't been getting a lot of coverage in the press. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I was, I was putting together kind of a survey of action RPGs for a friend of the show, Jason Wilson. He's still a friend of the show, right? No, yes. <laughs> um, and that came out a couple days ago. And uh, as I was like almost done with it, I got an email from one of the PR companies I get emails from that says, here, there's Victor Vran. It's this new action RPG. It's got all these quotes about how tight the combat is. And I was like, I can add a paragraph about this. This sounds pretty interesting. And so I loaded it up and it's diablo 3 style with a controller um and it's from a european company hamamont i don't know if i'm pronouncing it right my french is horribly out of date um 
But they're the ones who make the Tropico games now. And they decided to make an action RPG, and it's really surprisingly tight. Like, my my general perception of European RPGs, like The Witcher or all those focused software games, is that uh, they're pretty loose, they're they're ambitious in what they're trying to go for, but they don't ever quite have the budget, where this game seems tight. This game is, the controls, like, are very responsive, maybe even a little over-responsive at times, but I hope you can adjust that. I have a friend who's had some issues that I have not had. Um, but it's like, you're carrying two weapons at a time, you press the button, you switch the weapons, it's like almost immediate, uh, um, I want to try to say things that are not, like, tight and responsive here. I, I had It just feels good. Yeah. I had this trouble when I was writing about Diablo 3, which is that the thing that makes Diablo 3 really good is that the moment-to-moment combat is just fantastic. Like, there's a lot of metagame stuff that I... It's very easy to talk about, and it's not as good as a Torchlight or your Path of Exile. But running around just fighting things in Diablo 3 feels great, and that's hard to describe why it feels better than these other things. Um, yeah, indeed. So what is the customization like? Customization is primarily based on like what you're wearing. Um, there's still some like leveling up choices, but it's primarily a sort of external thing. Um, so like uh, you're given the option to wear three different costumes at the start, and these are basically like rogue, warrior, and wizard. Um, you're still kind of the same regardless, but it's how you get the the magic power. Like, most of the time you get the magic power when you get hit, or you're hitting things, but if you take the rogue one, it's if you get critical hits, and if you take the wizard one, then you're constantly gaining magical power, and it has nothing to do if you're getting hit. And the wizard one's a top hat, and the rogue one has, like, a bunch of pockets everywhere. Um, uh, and then your your special skills are based on the weapons you use, which are, uh, there's like eight or ten different weapon classes like a shotgun and a lightning gun and the ranged and um, scythes and swords and rapiers and uh, hammers in the melee and uh, so each of them has three moves um, for corresponding to the three buttons it's designed more for controller you can play it with mouse and keyboard but um, I think that's that's fairly interesting in that in that genre but it, it certainly looks like a Diablo, but you're playing it with a controller and moving the camera with the right stick and stuff. But um, So each of these has three moves. Like, the hammer does big, slow attacks that can, you know, sort of reheal you, or the rapier does fast, critical hit-oriented attacks, and the shotgun is, like, good for blasting guys away from you. And um, you have one regular attack and then two special moves with each of them. And those special moves have cooldowns. So it's like you're sitting there with a shotgun, a bunch of guys <laughs> run at you. You drop two of your special moves on them. When the, while that cooldown goes, you switch over to the scythe, do a wheel um, where you like kill as many as you can. The shotgun moves come back. You press the button that immediately switches back. And it's it's very fast and very fun for all of that, which, like I said, surprises me for an action-oriented RPG from Europe, which is not always uh, super duper responsive. Like playing it just after The Witcher, for example, which is better than it used to be, but still uh, has some oddness to its combat. The way you pitched it to me before the show was that it was a European RPG that wasn't an interface disaster. <laughs> yeah. Um... I mean, it does have a little bit of interface weirdness when you're using the controller, so I switched to the mouse with that, so maybe it's a little disaster. But um, 
It's also the main character is voiced by the voice of the Witcher, so you can view it as like an alternate universe if Witcher was Diablo. Yeah, interesting. So what I'm getting from this is that I should try Victor Varan because it's relatively easy to pick up and fast-paced and fun and, and from what I was able to see from the videos, uh, quite attractive as well. Yeah, it's it's it feels like a good summer game. Like you know, the massive releases aren't here yet. Here's something you can play for a little while. It seems very self-contained too. Each level has like different little goals that you go through. It's not like the massive randomness of Diablo or whatever. But it's like okay, kill fifty spiders with a shotgun on this level, and you get a little bonus. Um, so it's got a sort of mastery aspect to it, um, and a in a self-contained way as opposed to the the sort of giant you can play this forever of diablo or torchlight well check out victor varan it's on steam is it on anything else hey it feels like it should be on console but i don't think it is uh, well i mean the people who are making it oh no tropico's on console yeah i mean they might be porting it eventually yeah well if it does well enough so go check out victor varan So, moving on to the mailbag. So, the first question that we have is from at lowclasshifi. Do you think traditional menu-driven JRPGs have a place on consoles, or they be, will they become a handheld-only genre? I'm going to throw a curveball at you, lowclasshifi. I think that they're going to keep they're going to be appearing more and more on PC. Mm. And you know why? Because if you look at Steam right now, you can see games like. Well, mostly Falcom releases um, along the lines of, what was it, Ease, uh, Oath, and Falgana enjoying pretty good success over on Steam. And you're also seeing Trails uh, in the Sky. Trails in the Sky also enjoying pretty good success. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the Final Fantasy, various Final Fantasy games are now available on Steam. Some of and them. And PC. Yes. Uh, Final Fantasy, like all of the Final Fantasy 13s are on PC. Valkyria Chronicles did super well when it was first released. Oh, I wouldn't say that Valkyria Chronicles is one of the menu-based ones. Uh, because... Close enough, because it's turn-based. I, I think that's the. I think that's kind of what they're going for. You know, I I don't I I I feel like menu-based is a very specific sort of you know Dragon Quest style. You're not moving. Um, it's Fair the enough. movement that that makes that relevant to me. But um, I think I think in terms of the specific question that uh, this person asked, um, we're gonna get we're gonna get proof of it in like three months. The probably the most um, vibrant JRPG series is a menu based one, and the next incarnation is coming to consoles later this year in Persona Five. Yeah, but do you think it'll come out on PC? I don't know if it'll come out on PC, but the person asked about consoles, so I was I was switching. That's it true. Ah, oh, fair enough. Oh, was, right. Yes. I was decurving. Yes. So, um, <laughs> although yeah. I would I would say that it didn't seem like Persona Four hit the sort of mainstream. Um, everyone needs to play this game if you like RPGs until it hit Vita, and some <laughs> of that may have been the specific Vita version being better. Um, but some of it might have also just been that it seemed to fit the Vita better. I know a lot of people are like, I love to play this in bed. I don't know if I'd play this on my TV. I think there are two reasons for that. First of all, Persona in particular fits 
the Vita really well, as you already said, because it's the kind of game that you can play for like five minutes and put away, which is not necessarily something that you can often say about RPGs. Um, the second thing is that Persona 4 originally came out on the PlayStation 2 in 2008. Yeah. Which was a good, what, two years after arguably the last really relevant release for it, which I I think it was God of War 2, where like I was like, oh yeah, I gotta play this on the PS2, etc. Like, there were still PS2 games coming out for it all the way into 2009, but for the most part, I would say that a lot of gamers had moved on from the PS2 by 2008, uh, late 2008 at that. Yeah. Um, and the other thing was that when Persona 4 came out, it wasn't, it was received coolly by a lot of Persona fans, I feel like, because it was so different from Persona 3, where Persona 3 was, I mean, well, it had a very specific flavor, and then Persona 4 came out, and it had a giant bear, and it was set in rural Japan, and it was a murder. It was a murder mystery. It was very, very yellow. It was yellow everywhere. Where I would say Persona Three was like a cool green blue. Yes, it was very blue, and Persona Four was very yellow, which is kind of it can be a little rough on the eyes. And like it was, it was kind of goofballs. Like in Persona Three, you had the midnight hour and you're exploring the strange tower and it's all very spooky whereas persona 4 is like i'm going into the tv in the department <laughs> store that, in the department store its own theme song that a small child screams at you every time she possibly can <laughs> she doesn't scream it at you whatever she says it a lot but persona 4 i think so initially like a lot of my friends who loved persona 3 were like eh, persona 4 i don't like it very much but then persona 4 came out on vita and I feel like the people who didn't play it the first time around, and I was one of them, picked it up and went, whoa, this is an awesome RPG. This is so good. Like, the stuff that seemed kind of weird and, and goofy, like the bear and the going into the TV and the department store, like, instead kind of became almost... The, the world of Persona 4 is really macabre and having those elements kind of added to that element rather than detracted from it. And the character of Teddy in particular grew on me a ton as time went on. And then, as you said, it was just a really darn good port. It was gorgeous. It fit on the Vita really well. And it... Apparently they added a lot of... They added a lot of content. Yep. And little tweaks that made it a little less user-unfriendly, I heard. I never played it, never had a Vita, so... Um, I don't recall the exact tweets, uh, tweets, tweaks. <laughs> I recall um, a lot of tweets, but... Because I feel like the battle system in Persona 4 was already better than Persona 3. If I recall correctly, you could control your party in Persona 4 vanilla, but I, I, I could be wrong. That was one, that was one of the big things I had against Persona 3 was that, um, the rest of your party was automated, which was super annoying. Yeah. Made it really hard to sequence your moves and, like, come up with an actual strategy. No, Persona 4 added a couple of interesting social links, and it added... Um, I, I love the ability to like hold, click the screen and then see what everybody was doing that day. It gave you a much greater yeah. sense of direction and made me feel less lost and feel like, oh, God, I'm going to miss out on this social link, right? Yeah, that, and, that was definitely an issue I had. I only played the PS2 version, so... And it had a wonderful epilogue that took me past Christmas 
and added a whole bunch of new stuff. So <laughs> I never have gotten anywhere near the ending of one, but I enjoyed them for as long as I enjoy them. <laughs> when I was finished with Persona 4 Golden, I was like, oh, goodbye to my friends. I'm going to miss you. Oh, I'm so sad. Oh, my gosh. Um, which is why I've been picking up pretty much every Persona game since, because like, hooray, they're back. Did you like Persona Q? Yeah, I like it a lot. Um, I'm playing it right now, very, very slowly, like Uh, usually when I'm flying. I really liked it in general, but I remember liking Teddy in Persona 4, and he is the worst in Persona Q. He's he's been flandersized into... uh, into sexual harassment man it's not <laughs> sexual sexual harassment panda say <laughs> something like that it's it's pretty pretty awful but yeah a little really bit funny, i guess oh he's a dirty panda what do you want yeah. but as to the original question as to whether menu-based jrpgs will have kind of a future on i i, I assume they meant jrpgs because well yeah they did say jrpg yeah. Anyway, many driven JRPGs having a future on console. Um, By all accounts, the PS4 is doing better in Japan. So, I mean, if the PS4 is going to do better in Japan, then I suppose that, yes, they will have a future because you'll have Japanese developers kind of going in that direction. And Square Enix in particular seems to be kind of pushing in that direction with the release of games like the Final Fantasy VII Remake, and Nier 2, and games like that, so... I, I, I need someone to do Fantasy Star Five, please. But the fact of the matter is that over in Japan, handhelds are pretty dominant still, and also, I, I mean, Monster Hunter is on the 3DS, and I don't think it's going to be leaving the 3DS anytime soon. And mobile is super popular. Uh, consoles just don't have a huge place. You're starting to see some changes. PS4 is doing better. The PC, uh, Steam recently uh, started accepting Japanese currency over in Japan. So you're seeing a bigger shift in that direction. But it takes time. I couldn't tell you the exact day, time that it happened. Only that it happened really, really recently. Okay. Um, It was kind of a big deal for Japanese indies because they have a, a much better platform for putting out their games. Yeah, I... I ask because it seemed like somewhere around like mid-2013, all of a sudden Japanese companies were like, hey, we should put our games on Steam too. And, you know, Ikaruga showed up and Trails from the Sky and uh, Dynasty Warriors and all these all these things that I would never have expected to show up on Steam. But there they were. Famous, uh, sorry, piggybacking on our kind of Square Enix chat at the end of the last question at famous tim smith asks do you think the combat in the final fantasy 7 remake will match the combat in crisis core as jeremy Parrish postulated on retronauts 38 i i don't know about crisis core but i would not be shocked at all to see that the battle system ends up getting altered I've heard some interesting things about final fantasy 7 remake it sounds like the art director tetsu nomura yeah, he's a he's actually the director in the game, but I'm hearing maybe he's more of a figurehead than anything else. Well, there, there was those articles that were like he didn't even know he was the director until they announced it on the stage. <laughs> like, and it sounds like a lot of it's being outsourced. So that could be. So I don't know. Like we'll see what comes out of it. 
Well, I... you, and I, you and I have very different sort of perspectives on the Final Fantasy VII remake. Oh yeah. I you you didn't really like Final Fantasy VII. So. Uh, wait a minute. Hey, hey, you're totally mi- you're misrepresenting what I said. I used to love Final Fantasy VII. Oh, okay. And then I grew up. Mm. <laughs> so that's that actually kind of sounds worse. Okay. But uh, <laughs> okay. But like I I used to hate it, but I came to slowly respect it. But I think the things that I respect about it are like its place in time. Um, sure. It's it's a very ni- mid nineties ness. And mm-hmm. if they are deciding to change that mid '90s weirdness, like this is this is going to be a disaster. So, oh yeah, I think that if they make any wholesale changes, that they're just going to piss everybody off, yeah. right? Um, uh, even if it's super well done, like Final Fantasy VII, like usually the point of a remake is to go out and improve it somehow, right? To make a better version of it while also capturing kind of what people liked about whatever the game was in the first place. I sort of feel like if they change anything about it, people will scream bloody murder. Yeah, this is... It's a win-win situation for them to announce the game, and it's a no-win situation for them to ever actually release it. Yeah, well, now they're putting it out, so we're going to see what happens. They announced it way early. Like, I would not be surprised if it was not even supposed to come out until, like, 2018 or 2019, and even then got delayed. Moving on to the next question. Have you been paying attention to this Dragon Quest Minecraft game? Dragon Quest Builders, I believe the name is? I, I have heard some things about it, but only like in, initially, hey, it's weird that they're doing this. At False Logic wants to know, is a Dragon Quest Minecraft a move to get Japanese gamers to expand their horizons? I think that... Maybe it should be couched in a slightly different way because I, I think there's this assumption that the Japanese don't play Minecraft, and I'm pretty sure that's not accurate because from what I was able to gather while I was in Japan, Japanese gamers definitely do play Minecraft. That is quite popular over there. So this is just more of a, well, frankly, it's Dragon Quest jumping onto the Minecraft bandwagon. And trying to go with the fact that Minecraft is, in fact, popular worldwide and being like, hey, look, we're also got our own builders game and you should buy us. Here you go. So less to expand horizons and more to piggyback on a global phenomenon. I mean, I think you could say diversifying playstyle to reach a new audience and put it in a positive term. No, piggybacking. <laughs> I suppose so. But, I mean, do you have any do you have any perspective on this, Rowan? Um, I I think I think you kind of nailed that. the The question is a, a a little odd in that I would I don't know why they would try to do something for Japanese gamers in general. They would try to do something to line their own pockets, and piggybacking is a, a way to do that. So exactly. So false logic cheated and sent like a huge bunch of questions at me. So, but I'm going to pick two because I'm next like that. The second one he asked was, did somebody already ask the Desert Island question? If not, consider it asked now. So, okay, Rowan, what's your Desert Island RPG? Um, I mean, it's got to be something that lasts for a long time. Um, And it's got to be something that I actually enjoy. 
if it weren't for the internet connection, something like World of Warcraft or Diablo or some sort of some sort of thing like that. I mean, with Diablo, mm. you could probably say, you know, assume that you have a single player version. Um, and so Diablo, you know. really? I mean, I, I've played that game multiple times, but after a while, you know, wouldn't it get a little repetitive? I mean, is that not true for any other game? Like, <laughs> I mean, I guess, but Diablo seems. I don't know. People have been playing Diablo 2 for 10 years, and I don't really understand it, but there um, you go. I, I feel like the the changes to Diablo 3 that they have made have kind of accented the you can play this forever and not have to worry about getting bored of going through the story like 500 times because the story stinks. Um, they, I don't know that it is like my ideal answer, but it comes to mind immediately as something that I would probably be about as happy with as anything else. Um, but I will try to think of something, especially something older, because, um, there are alternatives. But what's yours? Um, FIFA. Uh, <laughs> well, that's uh, a bit of a cop-out, isn't it? Yeah, like, I could say Crusader Kings 2, and... I mean, FIFA is an RPG. Yeah, I mean, uh, there are aspects of it that are, that, you know, you could, you could, you could make I, that argument. I I think the Superstar mode's totally, uh... Is totally an RPG. I mean, you're creating a character and building them up over time using stats and things and developing your own storylines. Sounds like an RPG to me. Yeah, I just don't like those modes. Like, I want my sports games, I want to play like the general manager of everybody. And, and Oh, I did that play. too. I did a six-season run of general manager in FIFA last of, year. Of it was amazing. No, no, just West Ham. Yeah, like my 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 massive NBA 2K game, I'm playing all 30 teams. Well, why would you do that? You're just going to trade with yourself. Because I can roleplay that. Whoa. So wait a minute. You told me you're telling me that you are the GM of all 30 teams and so you would be like I am the GM of the Lakers and I need somebody to compliment Kobe. Okay. I don't, now I'm, I'm going to run over here, and now the GM of the Celtics. Well, as it turns out, I can make an offer, but it's going to be a hard bargain, L.A. Lakers. Run back over here. Oh, okay, Boston Celtics, what are you looking at? Well, like you did that, like just running back and forth doing that thing? I mean, it's all on the same screen. I don't have to run anywhere. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. <laughs> I was but, just imagining you like putting on glasses and being like, I am the Celtics GM, taking him off. Now I am the... Well, Lakers GM. I do that. I mean, and then you put on a tie, just like. <laughs> but um, I mean, it's based on sort of mutual interest, and there is a history of these franchises that sort of encourages a kind of role playing, where LA, for example, goes after mega superstars and tries to get them, regardless of if it destroys their team or not, which it has, which is great because I am a Laker hater. Um, whereas the Celtics, for example, have a history of. Um, rebuilding by acquiring assets and then trying to blow all those to try to make major deals or whatever. Um, like when they got uh, Ray Allen and KG at the same time and uh, that turned got them a championship. So I have been trying to sort of role play that and there might be trades where that becomes viable. Um, there might not be. Um, sometimes it's just, is there a mutual benefit here? And yeah, like because I'm playing all 30 teams, I can recognize if there's a mutual benefit, and sometimes like a trade can be sort of ridiculous but makes sense in context, and I get to judge that, and that's fine. It's fun. Especially with salary cap rules that you have to like turn it into a puzzle that you're trying to solve. 
Well, anyway, I... So, being serious for a moment. Yeah. I mean, FIFA would probably be my quote-unquote desert RP, desert island RPG. But if we're talking about traditional RPGs um, of the sort that we would not associate maybe with sports, um, it would be a toss-up between Dark Souls and Skyrim. Mm. Skyrim because, well, frankly, there's just an absurd amount of stuff to do in that game. And... There are a lot of, and I think it randomly generates quests, right? So yeah, you could theoretically, extent, but those quests are like kill ten bears, which you've you've indicated are not your favorites. Not my favorite. No, you're you're correct, but I, I've, I could just spend so much time playing that game, and then when I'm done, I could, I could totally start over and create a new character, and go in a totally different direction and create a totally different story for that character. I'm actually quite fond of Skyrim, and the, and the other and the other one being Dark Souls because that game is just damn hard, and it would be really interesting to try and master it, and then also like get really good at the PvP. And you're not going to have internet on, on your desert island. Oh, well, if we're not going to have internet on the desert island, then Skyrim for sure. But well, then you can't get mods, and oh, uh, well, I assume I'm assuming that my Skyrim, my copy of Skyrim, comes on a PC that's has pre-installed mods. Yeah, okay. Uh, the the that would actually probably encourage me to play Skyrim more because I always have a feeling like I'm doing it kind of wrong, and part of that is mods, and part of it is just general kind of connecting to the internet and seeing that people have done other things and realizing that they're progression system is not exactly what i would call balanced um but if it was all i had then i could throw myself into the stuff i liked a little more but uh, i now if i had the internet once upon a time i would have picked pokemon why do you need the internet for pokemon because you got to play online oh okay i'm not going to have anybody to play with on the island i don't they normally have single player modes Oh, yeah, but that lasts like 10 hours, and that's definitely not the meat of the Pokemon experience. I mean, I guess you could sit there and try to soft reset onto eternity looking for shinies and that kind of thing, or you can catch them all and fill out your Pokedex and all that, but... Well, well, you can't catch them all because you have to, like, go to Japanese conventions in order to... No, that's not true. I mean, I have all of them on my old systems, like, I have every legendary, so I don't need to go to Japanese conventions. Oh, fine. Oh, so yeah. So take that, Rowan. I, I have just I'm a Pokemon a, master. I have just read articles about how it's literally impossible to catch them all in various Pokemon games. Maybe that has changed. It used to be the case. Um, in the case of Pokemon, was it third generation Pokemon, you could not actually catch all 386 in the U.S. because Celebi never came out here. So you had to actually get a Japanese Celebi, which I did by mailing my cartridge to the UK to my friend over there who put a Celebi on it. And so I still have that Japanese Celebi. And that is the nerdiest thing that I've ever done. We're, we're just, we're, this is a deep dive here. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So, at Canistello asks, what video game had your favorite soundtrack? I'm a sucker for music. Um, I mean, I could be obvious and say Chrono Trigger here. Really? It's a pretty good soundtrack. It's an extraordinarily good soundtrack. Um, I could, I could probably maybe go into some, uh, 
a little nichier things here. Like Ultima Seven has my favorite individual piece of game music, probably, um, which is the fellow fellowship theme, which is this uh, kind of a malevolent religious organization, but they have a, a religious theme that makes them sound both like appealing and malevolent. It's just a, a great little piece of early 90s video game style music. Um, I like the Chrono Cross soundtrack almost as much as Chrono Triggers, even though I dislike the game at a level that I is almost a mirror of how much I like Chrono Trigger. Um, Suikoden 2 is also a favorite. Suikoden 2 has a very good soundtrack. It's Yeah. Though it can be a little repetitive at times. Um, I also really love the Suikoden 2 arranged soundtrack that it's got like a, a, a sort of medieval trilly kind of thing. It's one of my one of my favorite game things. Now, now I'm getting nerdy. I'm talking about arranged soundtracks. No, that's not nerdy at all. I mean, maybe not on this show, but... Because you can take a regular person to a like an orchestrated version of your favorite video game. I mean, you uh, can thing. now, but like... And you can be like, look, let's go listen to some music. It's really good, actually. I, I was downloading this stuff off of... Uh, God, not Napster, but one of the Napster <laughs> descendants in like and one, Yeah, something like that. And then getting all of the viruses at the same time. It's hard to get a virus from an MP3. but you're probably getting lots of adware and crap installed on your pc regardless just by having that thing um i i once was separated from my diablo 2 uh box so i couldn't put in a a, my key so i tried to download a key gen and uh gave myself a trojan for like two years that was exciting Two years? Oh my god! It was it was hard to get rid of until I got um, the malware bytes out of where that got rid of it immediately. But yeah, um, and uh, if I'm gonna pick something from the 2000s, I'll go with Morrowind. Hmm. Well, I would say that my favorite soundtrack in an RPG, and probably by extension, video games as well, is Valkyrie Profile. Mm, that's which, a, that's an interesting one. It it really runs the gamut in terms of different styles. It does the really depressing kind of music. It does the really high energy. It's hard to describe electronic music, but it's not really dance. It's yeah, it, it's, it's a very distinct sound to it. It, it kind of reminds me of the Fantasy Star Four soundtrack, which does similar things and is also fantastic. It. It has an excellent battle theme and an excellent boss theme, though maybe not the best uh, of them that I've ever heard, but still really, really good. And that actually counts for a lot. They're high energy and fun to listen to, so I can put up with them for a long time. I think that the soundtrack actively enhances the game, and even today I can sit around and still listen to it, so... I'm going to pick Valkyrie Profile with maybe Persona 4 being a close second because I can listen to that music all day too, which I will once Persona Dancing All Night comes out. <laughs> yeah, I, I I didn't get all the way through Persona 4, so I don't like have love for all of that soundtrack at the same level. But um, yeah, there's some very, very good stuff there. All right, last question. And this one did not come in the mailbag, but I'm curious... 
What is the RPG you're looking forward to most this fall? I am looking forward to the final release of Darkest Dungeon a lot. Oh my god, yeah. Is that coming out this fall? They, I checked and they said October. Um, oh my god, that might be my game of the year. That it's it's likely to be for me if there if there are dungeons are um, the new dungeons that they add add the variety I feel like it needs. Yeah, it needs more variety. Um, but I like the fact that it has a conclusion in the final version. Yeah, kind of got to give you a reason to wait until the final version, I guess. But I I don't know if I'm going to start over. Should I start over? Because I have a really good party <laughs> and you might stuff have now. To start over. When did you play? I mean, I played probably back in April. When it, like, when it came out on early access, yeah, like pretty much the initial like couple first couple weeks, I was playing Darkest Dungeon a lot. Yeah, I I only played like eight hours or so, and I was like, I really like this. I'm waiting for the final version, which is not something I've done with most other early access games. Um, if I like them, I want to keep playing them, and if I don't like them, then I don't really get excited about the stuff coming later. But this one, I was like, okay, I'm gonna wait. That's a good choice. A very good choice. Well done. Uh, do, do we want to talk about why this game is I awesome? feel like we've talked about it a little bit, but why don't, you, um, why don't you educate our audience for who are not familiar with Darkest Dungeon and why it's a really good game? Um, it is a sort of gothic fantasy, turn-based, procedurally generated dungeons thing where... Uh, you have like a bunch of different random people, random heroes come in and um, they are all disposable. Maybe not disposable is the right word, but they can all die and you have to try to keep them alive, but you also have to try to keep them sane. So there's this, these mechanics running throughout the game of things that will increase their stress and, so you're you're managing both their kind of level of comfort and their regular RPG stuff. And the regular RPG stuff is really, really... It's simple to kind of understand, but there's a lot of depth to it in terms of, you know, adding... Um, adding uh, damage over time and getting crits and maneuvering your party in the right way because like the specific the specific layout of your four characters um determines like what skills they can use so there's a lot of there's a lot of immediate rpg complexity to it that's given this sort of additional mental health layer that just like turns it from this is pretty interesting to oh my god i've never played a game like this uh and i think from a mental health perspective it's also really interesting because sometimes when they get super stressed out they turn into like superheroes and sometimes they turn into like gibbering messes and um it's a, that that kind of gives it a thematic relevance of like how's this person going to react when when the shit hits the fan and uh yeah and there's good rpg good thematic connections and hilarious narrator and uh yeah well okay i guess that's my most anticipated rpg after persona 5 which is still my most anticipated rpg assuming it comes out this year which i think it is all signs point to it coming out in december yeah and uh if i'm picking it back up so we don't pick the same thing then um i i don't think you can really go wrong with fallout 4 
Uh, you know, I was going to say that, but I was like, man, that's kind of the boring answer. But l- let's be honest, we're still going to be playing Fallout 4 for a few years. Yeah. Thing is... It might be better to wait for a few years. I know, it's going to be so buggy, right? It, or And not having mods. Like, I, even if Bethesda's gotten their bugs mostly under control... Um, no, this is going to be super buggy. They've never really been good at creating like fully balanced RPG systems, and modders have provided a lot of that help for them. Well, luckily, the modding scene these days operate at the, the speed of the internet. Yeah. So you can guarantee that within a month of that game coming out, there are going to be a lot of mods for that thing. Yeah. Um, I don't even know. Is there anything else I should be excited about? Um, yes, but I'm not looking at a release date list at this very moment. But okay. I'm sure that our fans will be able to tell us about it over on Twitter and over on our usgamer.net page. XCOM 2, if you want to count that, is certainly... Is that coming out this fall? Yeah, that's November. Get out. Is it? It's coming out like two weeks after Darkest Dungeon is scheduled too. so... Oh, wow. I'm going to be busy. There's going to be a lot of dead party members. So, Rowan, where can I find you? Um, you can find... Uh, my latest article went up on GamesBeat, and we can provide a link there. My Twitter is at Rowan Kaiser, although I am currently locked, so if you want to request me and you look like a real RPG person, then maybe I'll accept. And, if you're uh, a troll, put RPG fan 1234 yeah. in your... Real in your... RPG fan, no <laughs> Chrono Cross... Um. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and uh, I write for Ars Technica and IGN pretty regularly, and I do TV stuff over at the AV Club. Right on. And of course, you can find us over at usgamer.net. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, etc. And if you want to have your questions appear in the mailbag, send me an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. Or send something to me over on Twitter. Otherwise, until then, I've been Cat Bailey. Rowan Kaiser, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. And until next time, happy adventuring. 